from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And uh, welcome to the program. It's the Tuesday night edition of the program, 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. And I want to get into some of the stories that I'm looking at today. Uh, of course, this one, uh, again, this one, um, I'm not going to say warms my heart, but I think is a step in the right direction. Ronna McDaniel to step down later this month. She's out as RNC chair. Uh, she won't be in charge of the Republican National Committee anymore. And I, some of you, I guess, if you're cynical like I typically am, you're going to say, well, who cares? What is it? What difference does it make? Well, uh, probably not a whole lot, but maybe. Right. It's my belief that back in 2015, 2016, during the Obama years, the Republican Party, the RNC, the establishment, pretty much died, right? There really was zero power. There was some personal power, uh, like Mitch McConnell in the Senate, um, you know, a handful of others, Haley Barber when he was around. Uh, but outside of that, Republicans had really lost um, all, their, all their swag, right? They really didn't have anything left. Trump came and he ran as a different kind of Republican. He didn't really rely on the RNC. They helped each other, I think, when need be. But it was a different thing. And if anybody's a Republican today, the majority, as we can see in the primaries and everywhere else, fundraising, et cetera, it's because they're pro-Trump, right? It's not necessarily they're, they're like, I love Ronna McDaniel. I love Nikki Haley. That's just not the way it is. And there's some of the old guard that's like, look, I'm not giving up this party. I remember in my state uh, here in Jersey, right, the governor of New Jersey, Christine Todd Whitman. She uh, she wrote a book some years ago called It's My Party, Too, because she had become um, very um, involved with the environment and was very liberal. And she, um, you know, was arguing that, you know, there's space for liberals in the Republican Party. And I would say there is. I mean, I think the Republican Party really is a de a, um, a big tent. Um, sure. No problem. However, I think part of it, it has died. Just there isn't um, that um, that willingness to look the other way. I think there was a time where people were on board with the Chamber of Commerce. They were on board with a lot of that. I, I was one of them. Right. Why not? Right. There was so much of it. It made sense on social issues. It made sense, at least in rhetoric, uh, on on fiscal issues. Uh, but there were other issues that came to light. And w I guess once you um, it's like the old saying, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. And when when Trump came and did what he did and said what he said, a lot of people woke up. You know, it was kind of like those emails. I don't know if you remember those emails, but I remember back in 2013, 14 and before. People used to send emails like a letter saying, you know, I wish there was a candidate that would, you know, end foreign aid and take care of the veterans and and uh, put put America first and, and stop caring about everybody else. And it was this, you know, these platitudes that they wrote. And I always looked at that and said, well, that's that's fantasy land. Right. 
It's literally uh, utopian. There'll never be such a candidate. But then came Trump years later. He actually was that candidate that was able to appease the military industrial complex by spending $700 billion on the military budget and revamping the military, upgrading equipment, getting the best stuff, peace through strength. But he was very reluctant to start any new wars. He was about the peace process in the Middle East. And people didn't think this was possible because he took a different approach. So he proved it can be done. And when he did, it messed up the old Republican model. There wasn't much of it left anyway. And now people say, well, you know, that doesn't work and we don't want to do that. And I think that's the, the problem that, that the Republican Party has today is that if you don't like Trump, you feel lost, like Adam Kinzinger and um, uh, what's his girlfriend's name over there from Illinois, from um, Wyoming, Liz Cheney, right? They, they feel displaced. They feel like there's no place. And there is a place for them. The, the problem is you can't take the position of, of saying that Trump is some sort of cancer on the Republican Party and then think that you're going to be welcomed with open arms. I think there's no problem if anybody were to say, you know, look, I, I don't personally agree with Donald Trump and his policies. I think there are areas that we could agree on. But for the most part, I think uh, we, we don't ideologically see eye to eye on things and not beat the guy up. I think you can survive. But when you take the approach that Chris Christie's taken and, and Nikki Haley and you try to create so much contrast for positions that are just so unpopular where you're not going to get much of a, of a backing there, it's a losing proposition. The people have spoken, right? There's a populist movement uh, on the Trump train, the MAGA train, the, uh, the New Tea Party, whatever you want to call it. And that's what it is. It's, it's blue-collar workers that are trying to make their life better. It's like what the old Democrat Party used to be. It's peace through strength. It's not um, indoctrinating kids. It's not hating America. And yet these were things that were once accepted universally amongst all parties. And now it's really only one party that embraces those things. And the other party just says it. And maybe you disagree with that statement, but... For the most part, I can say I, I don't know of any pro-Hamas Republicans, right? I can't think of any. I could think of a whole bunch of, of Democrats, right? And, and that's just one example. There's plenty. There's plenty of examples of people that are um, sympathetic to things that are just really not congruent with uh, what I would consider to be American values or things that are in the best interest of the country. So when you hear that Rona McDaniel is out as RNC chair later this month makes sense to me. And I say, put in somebody who's going to help build Trump because clearly Trump is the party. And if the party has a future beyond Trump, it's going to be because they're building it from now. So I don't know. I'm going to vote for um, Trump Jr. I think Trump Jr. would be fantastic at running the RNC turning it around, a complete turnaround, like he's back in the boardroom on The Apprentice, and uh, we'll see what happens. I don't know if they're going to do that, but I think he's got the, um, the gravitas to do it, the ability to, to take big ideas and, and shrink them down into bite-sized memes that are hysterical on his social media, and I think he'd be really good at raising money as well. But we'll see how that goes. So that's that one. Then there's uh, another story I'm looking at. Of course, the big story. Toby Keith has passed away, and we're going to get into a discussion with Ted Nugent on remembering his legacy. 
So stay tuned for that. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. So there you have it, Toby Keith, uh, R.I.P., country legend, superstar, passing away. And uh, we just heard a clip of Toby Keith saying that he would really enjoyed touring uh, for the USO. Somebody that he toured with is none other than um, guitarist, singer, songwriter, and uh, political commentator Ted Nugent. And Ted Nugent is back with us to help remember Toby Keith. Ted, welcome back, sir. Feel welcome. Thank you very much, Rich. You bet. So what was it like when you toured with Toby Keith? Was that the first time you'd met him or had you met him prior? Well, I can tell you, it's been a rough day. Um, He was a force to reckon with. He was a dear friend. And we also just said goodbye to my Detroit guitar player, buddy Wayne Kramer of the MC5 last Friday. Condolences. So, yeah, I've been on a on a burial parade here and it's been a real tough time, but I think it represents the heartbeat of the best Americans that Toby represented. I mean, when I started touring with him, uh, he, he loved my songs. He, he, he said he sang cat scratch fever and wang dang sweet poon tang. Cause obviously he loved love songs. <laughs> um, and, uh, he sang stranglehold every night at his concert for many, many years now. Um, and so we had a musical bond because, uh, you know, country is a variation of rock and roll, which is a variation of folk and rhythm and blues and gospel. It's a it's a it's a deep spiritual representation and reflection and and, uh, and statement on behalf of the artist. And he saw that uh, his career was jettisoned by the fact that he surrounded himself with world class musicians. His band was absolutely incredible. Mm. And, uh, and and he put his heart and soul into everything. So when I first met him, it was before we actually went to uh, Iraq together and, and all through the Middle East. And uh, we, we kind of hit it off as hunting buddies and just hellraisers. He was, he was mm. a stand-up guy that didn't compromise, uh, and he loved the way that I expressed myself because many times many people in the industry will, will tell me on the side that they're not allowed to say what I say. And I tell them that's false. They, everybody's allowed to say whatever the hell they want to say. There's this first amendment thing going on. Amen. So we bonded in the fact that he was a defiant guy. He was a constitutional guy. He was a patriotic guy. He, uh, he stood up for God, family, country, uh, law and order, good over evil and putting your heart and soul into being the best that you can be. And he expressed that to me many, many times, but I think it was really culminated when we were in the Middle East together with the heroes of the military, because I've always been a gung-ho, hardcore patriot. I know that freedom is not free. And back during the Vietnam hellstorm, those uh, heroes coming home tracked me down, and they they heard my interviews on the radio standing up for the Second Amendment and freedom and law and order. And uh, I didn't get drafted. Of course, the, the left will tell you that I dodged the draft. I didn't dodge the draft. I was basically Bruce Lee when I was in my 20s. I was... I was as physically fit as any athlete, and uh, I had a one-eye deferment, but uh, the, the media lies about me, and Toby came to my aid, and he stood with me, and, and we had a connection with the military heroes. And it's, it's, it, I, I guess the best way, Rich, to really uh, 
uh, hit this home yeah. is uh, Toby and I stood on a 124-degree tarmac in uh, Kandahar, and uh, we saluted a, a parade of flag-draped coffins. Uh, wow. We were in Fallujah with the Marines, and uh, we both cried like babies. Uh, it, it, it was a bonding moment that, that just fortified our, our resolve to continue to use the freedom to the best of our ability that those heroes gave the ultimate sacrifice for. So there's a lot of bonds that mankind can share, but I'd, I'd like to think that this side of blood kin and, and giving birth to your your children and, and burying your loved ones, those are some hardcore family bonds. But Toby and I had that in spades because of that experience together. Wow. And folks, again, we're on with Ted Nugent. Uh, he is the host of Ted Nugent Spirit of the Wild. It's actually the most watched series on the Pursuit Channel. Make sure you check that out and check out his website, uh, tednugent.com. And Ted, what what um, is your fondest memory of uh, performing or hanging out with Toby Keith? Well, <laughs> I you know I've already shed a lot of tears today, so I'm. I'm coming to grips with the fact that uh, what Toby exemplified is living to the fullest, living living your American dream with every ounce of piss and vinegar you can summon. <laughs> so I've I've got kind of kind of got past the the the, the heartbreak. I'll, I'll never get over the heartbreak, but at least the the emotional tears that I shared with an awful lot of people today. So now I'm I'm coming back to what Toby always he gave a a good chuckle and a good hearty guffaw and laughter. Because I would say things that were as politically incorrect as you can possibly come up with because mm. I see the corruption in our government. I see the dishonesty in the media. So I'd call these bastards out and Toby would always give me a big high five and he'd say, God, I wish I could say that. And I, I say, you, you can say that. <laughs> we can all say that. And uh, he just always uh, uh, raised hell that uh, he admired that I have a lot of balls that I that I've never backed down, never compromised. And that, that represented Toby Keith, right? I mean, everybody knows that the, I, I should have wrote boot up your ass. I mean, I'm angry that I didn't write that lyric. Um, so, so we had that bond. We saw the, the uh, deterioration of uh, the constitutional America that his dad fought for, my dad fought for, and we celebrated and thanked the troops for together on many, many occasions in very uh, emotional uh, conditions. And uh, we had a lot of laughter here. I guess, I guess, Rich, I go ahead. I, maybe the statute of limitations is, is correct right about now. But <laughs> when I went to Fallujah, I mean, when I go to the store for milk and bread, I got a gun and at least 40 rounds of magazines on my belt. So I'm going to Fallujah. I took two guns and 24 magazines. Um, <laughs> and somehow I got all that stuff over there without any of the metal detectors figuring me out. And when Toby discovered that I had my, my Glocks over there with me, I carried a couple 10 millimeters, um, he, he just thought that was the greatest thing in the world. That, um, but, you know, stop and think about that. So I'm going to Fallujah. Yeah, a war zone. The number one prerequisite would be to, to be armed in Fallujah. So he, he really loved that, that everywhere I went, I carried a gun, and he stuck pretty close to me. And... Uh, we did a lot of hunts together, and we shared a lot of campfires together. He came to my 60th birthday as a surprise for me and brought me this outrageous bottle of Italian wine. So we, we had some unbelievable. And then, of course, 
All you have to do is watch the movie Beer for My Horses, and he and Rodney Carrington wrote uh, uh, Skunk into the script because we got to get Nugent in this show. He's a funny guy. <laughs> and so they, they, they asked me to be part of Beer for My Horses, and we just, it was a, a laugh riot every day. Carrington's probably the funniest guy since Richard Pryor's Afro caught fire. Um, and Toby, Toby's got a great sense of humor and, and, uh, a, a comedy and, and humor and laughter is a huge propellant in my quality of life as I think sure. it should be with everybody's. And so we had a lot of laughs and, uh, a lot of, I played on stage with him many times. We played stranglehold together. His guitar player, Rich Eckert is the only guitar player that's got the stranglehold licked down really well. So that was wow. quite awesome. Ted Nugent, stand by. We're coming right back with Ted Nugent remembering Toby Keith and discussing what is wrong in America with Ted Nugent. Check out his program, Spirit of the Wild, on the Pursuit Channel. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Are you into weird, spooky, and strange history? Horrifying History tells you about the side of history that people don't normally talk about. We tell the tales of haunted places, infamous true crimes, unsolved mysteries, the paranormal, and then we look to history to see where the truth actually lies. Want to get spooky with us? Horrifying History, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. America starts the day with America in the morning. Pending home sales numbers, they tanked in April, but there are. Hi, I'm John Trout, your host for the latest news, politics, entertainment, business, and weather. Octane action in the dust, a new film puts. Our staff of correspondents provide a fast paced look at the world with specialized reports from where news happens. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's Amazon. Concise, accurate, and fresh each day. America in the morning, the podcast, available wherever you listen. Ted Nugent, when you hear um, th- this uh, this back and forth, um, what, what's the first thing that, that comes to mind? Well, you know, again, with Willie and, and Toby, we did Beer for My Horses, the movie together, yeah. and hanging out with those two legendary guys, and they're about as they're about as country as you get. And I'm not I'm not uh, what you would consider to be country, but I I always thought myself more country than those guys. Cause I actually live on a farm and I actually operate a tractor and I kill my own food. <laughs> I, I skin and gut butcher my own food. And so when Toby and, and uh, Willie and I were together, um, Toby made the joke that, that Willie and Toby think they're rednecks, but Ted Nugent's such a redneck. He thinks we're hippies <laughs> <laughs> because, because they did like to imbibe on a little t- intoxicants, shall we say? And I don't, uh, I've been clean and sober for 75 years, so um, we always had a great, great communication. And it proves, once again, Rich, that you can have uh, different individual choices in life, and you don't have to get into arguments, you don't have to hate, and you don't have to criticize and condemn. And uh, the fact that Toby sang my song, Stranglehold, which is as hard a rockin' song as ever existed, and I was more than happy to play on his songs, um, because they're quality compositions. They make a statement. They're, they're well-constructed, and they're sincere compositions. He was the master songwriter. But I think whenever I think about Toby, and God knows I've been thinking about him all day, and I've been thinking about him awful hard for the last couple of years since they diagnosed the stomach cancer, and I've been keeping in touch with him. And 
I think I think the most powerful conveyance I can provide on your show, Rich, is that uh, as a big tough guy like Toby and I fancy myself a tough guy, um, though Toby could probably kick my ass sideways. Um, uh, whenever we wrapped up our phone calls or conversations, uh, there'd be a manly hug, and I would say, "I love you, buddy," and he'd say, "I love you too." Uh, and especially in the last couple of years where we just didn't know how long he was going to last. And uh, he, his faith kept him strong. I mean, he performed just recently, and he performed valiantly. His voice was in great shape. His energy was pretty damn good for going through all that chemo and radiation. And uh, that that's an indication that in the face of dangerous, deadly threats and uh, uncertainty, that uh, your faith in the Lord and your faith in your fellow man and your family uh, are the most powerful sources of energy and positive spirit. Uh, and I, I think that's what we're going to take away from Toby. And, and his music will live forever. And when we hear his songs, we can see the man. I mean, I, I can see him anytime I want. I close my eyes. I was fortunate to be in his inner circle. But I want everybody to know out there, Rich, that as much as people love Toby, which is huge, people love yeah. Toby Keith. He loved you all too. He really loved the people that shared his music and, and, and celebrated his music. He had, he had a definitive love for his fellow music lovers. You know, he didn't even call them fans. He, he knew that the songs he wrote touched people deeply and uh, he loved the people that supported his music and celebrated the music that he was so proud of. No, amen to that. God rest his soul. Ted Nugent, um, tell us a, a little bit about something else you mentioned earlier, which was um, being vocal about the things that you see that are wrong in the country. And I think that's something you and I both share, right? I get on here every day and talk about what I see that's wrong. But uh, what are you talking about lately? What's uh, what's um, burning your britches? Well, boy, they've been burning a long time, Rich. Um <laughs> and I, I instinctively knew that the Vietnam War was a scam. It was immoral. It was illegal. It was uh, the military-industrial-congressional complex that Dwight Eisenhower warned us about, the early CIA warned us about, John Kennedy warned us about, Robert Kennedy warned us about, and, of course, they killed them. And uh, I'm so pissed off right now at my government. Uh, they're, they're corrupt. They're, they're dangerously criminal. They're siding with the communist Chinese. They are welcoming, rewarding, incentivizing the enemies of America through our border from Nigeria, from the Congo, from the Sudan, from Somalia, from Syria, from Jordan, from Iran, from Iraq. From, they're inviting communist Chinese military aged men by the hundreds of thousands through oh, our boy. border rich yeah. who in God's name can't see that Uncle Sam is orchestrating the slaughter of America, not just with the chemical warfare of fentanyl, that's Uncle Sam doing that, Rich. Yeah. That's our government doing that, Rich. It, that, this is the, and again, I refer to those flag-draped coffins that I salute. I've, I've saluted so many. And they died for this? I think not. I think our government, the United States government, has turned on we the people. The United States government is the enemy of America. This, this punk, this slithering snake devil in the White House, Joe Biden and his gang, 
they couldn't be more treasonous. They couldn't be more corrupt. They couldn't be more evil. Everything they do is is irrefutably designed to destroy this country and import, you know, subservient, desperate people to vote for them if they give them handouts and 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 forgive debts. I mean, rich, you got to be deaf, dumb, and blind, and and breaststroking an LSD not to see what this <laughs> government is doing in this country. And I, I just hope here's a little something. I, I'm I'm not only going to say that your house is on fire. I'm going to say here's a hose full of water. This is how you put the flames out. And I'm going to tell you. I hope everybody listening right now, Rich, goes to mm-hmm. HunterNation.org. HunterNation.org and HuntTheVote.org. If you examine what we did, nonprofits, we can't recommend a candidate. We can't recommend a party because we're 501c3 nonprofit, but at Hunt the Vote and HunterNation.org, we won in Louisiana because we got conservatives off their apathetic, spoiled ass and got them to vote God, family, country, law and order, which, by the way, is the outline for quality of life in the American dream. God, family, country, constitution, bill of rights, Ten commandments, golden rule, declaration of independence, work ethic, law and order, which there isn't any in any of the blue cities. These are the things that I'm not just concerned about, Rich, but everybody I know, my family, my band, my crew, my team, our Spirit of the Wild team, and Shemaine, my beautiful wife, my dangerous wife, Shemaine, has a Real America's Voice podcast called Faith and Freedom, Real America's Voice. I have a Real America Voice podcast called Spirit Campfire, and we are doing the job of we the people. We are spotlighting cockroaches, which we're surrounded by in our government, academia, mm. media, big tech, Hollywood, Disney, the woke anti-American scum that is just destroying this country. So there's plenty to be angry at, but at least I have a system by which we can counterpunch these evil people. And it's at huntthevote.org and hunternation.org. Outstanding. Folks, check out those websites, HunterNation.org and HuntTheVote.org. Ted Nugent, you are a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, and I want to thank you for being with us tonight and keep doing what you're doing. And, folks, uh, Ted Nugent is the host of Spirit of the Wild. Make sure you check that out. Most watched series on the Pursuit Channel. And for all things Nuge, just visit his website, TedNugent.com. Ted Nugent, thank you, sir. Thank you, Rich. God bless and Godspeed. And God bless real America. It's really still out there. Amen. Amen. And we're going to get back to it. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. So Joe Biden was at a campaign event in Las Vegas on Sunday, and he said the strangest thing. He said, I recently met with Mitrand from Germany, who's actually the French president who died back in 1996. Listen to this. Right, right, right after I was elected, I went to a, what they call a G7 meeting, all the NATO leaders. 
I was in I was in the south of England, and I sat down and I said, "America's back." And Mitterrand from Germany, I mean from France, looked at me and said, uh, "said You know, why? Why? How, how long are you back for?" <laughs> I'm wondering who laughed and like, was it the pity laugh? They were like, oh man, in Spanish they say, ay pobrecito, poor thing, right? Uh, resurrecting dead people and just confusing everything and just not doing well for himself. All I can tell you is this, if Joe Biden gets reelected, I, I am just, uh, I don't know, I might, I might just give up. <laughs> I really, I, I can't imagine anyone reelecting this man. I really hope the Democrats put Michelle Obama in or somebody, anybody that, you know, uh, could uh, put up a a, a better fight than Biden would. Um, And not that I want a better fight. Just the guy's horrible. He's absolutely horrible. And I think whoever they put up, I honestly think Trump is um, is equal to the task anyway. But um, Peter Ducey, Fox News Channel, he um, had the guts to confront uh, Karine Jean-Pierre on Biden's mental health. Asking the questions that I think everybody's thinking, but nobody's asking, except for him. Listen to this one. How is President Biden ever going to convince the three quarters of voters who are worried about his physical and mental health that he is okay, even though in Las Vegas he told a story about recently talking to a French president who died in 1996? I'm not even going to go down that rabbit hole with you, what? sir. What is We're going to go. Hole? Go ahead. He said go he ahead. talked to Mitterrand. Go ahead. In- you saw the president in Vegas, in California. You've seen the president in South Carolina. You saw him in Mich- Michigan. I'll just leave it there. Go ahead. <laughs> so obviously, uh, his mental health is fine if you can see him in South Carolina, Vegas, and California, right? And if the guy can get on a plane uh, that, that's called Air Force One, by the way. Yes, it's not even like he's traveling like the rest of us travel. He's got his own plane. If he can get on a plane, then he's clearly not losing it, right? He clearly has all his marbles. I mean, the the way that the way that they uh, position things is just. Um, well, again, it's KJP, right? She's no Jen Pasirko back Pasaki, Silent P, of course. Jen Pasaki would you know would hit you with so many. Um, even if it wasn't true, she'd hit you with so much information so quickly, you'd be dizzy and be like, oh shoot. I guess I did something wrong, right? <laughs> she was at least entertaining. KJP just kind of gives up. She's given up here. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it's a good thing. I do know that Biden's not in great shape here. Uh, he, he seems feeble, seems weak, doesn't seem to be doing better. But maybe that's just me. You know, maybe um, others think, oh, no, no, he's doing just fine. I don't. I don't think he's doing just fine. Uh, I know that he's... Um, He's just not clear, right? He's not clear. What is it that he said recently? He said, I'm not for abortion on demand. I'm only for, for all three mi- trimesters of pregnancy. Okay. <laughs> I'll wait while you explain what the difference is there. I think at some point people have to, they have to admit, we've got a problem here, Houston. We've got a real problem. And I think once they admit that, then we can move forward. I think right now we're, we're kind of in a holding pattern. And part of it, I think, comes from at some point people are going to say, you know what, you're right. This is not good. We're in, a, we're, we're in a dangerous place where for the sake of politics, um, we're, we're abandoning sanity. And to me, this, 
this is becoming clear when you see the New York Times, either for the sake of trying to defend their their um, whatever's left of the reputation or because they can't defend anymore, they start to call things out. And there was a piece in Newsbusters a couple of days ago. Headline, shocker. New York Times opinion piece highlights detransitioner stories. And this is... Um, you know, something we've talked about. We had a, a, the guy who runs the whole detransitioning um, organization, nationwide one. And um, the guy was fantastic in his, when he was on the show. And this is something that goes on a lot. And we've heard about it with uh, Chloe Cole and, and others that have been through that process. Anyway, um, the New York Times presented it as, you know, riveting and groundbreaking. And uh, even though other people have, you know, shared this, these stories as they've happened. But... It's interesting that they're even broaching the topic, you know, a little less of that uh, groupthink that we're used to seeing. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that when we come back. Plus, it's Ronald Reagan's birthday. That's right. The great Ronaldus Magnus. And uh, we're going to delve into a a little bit of um, Reagan history for a little bit. And then there's a courageous mom out there. She's been on this program before. And she's bringing the fight to the school districts for the hypersexualization and indoctrination of our children. We're going to talk about that as well. So we got a lot going on, plus Open Phone America in the third hour. So keep it locked right here. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. So we're talking about the um, this New York Times piece I just wanted to share with you. And interesting, right, where the uh, opinion section at the New York Times, they, they post this piece uh, uh, over the weekend, or on Friday, actually, talking about detransitioning. And the piece is titled, As Kids They Thought They Were Trans, They No Longer Do. And, uh, you know, it's been gay, creating a little buzz. The, the piece is written by uh, book review editor Pamela Paul. And it tells the heartbreaking stories of how children were abused and neglected rather than uh, nurtured, which led to their transition. And now, years later, their regret. And, and I think that sentence is very poignant. And again, this is a piece in, um, in Newsbusters.org, on Newsbusters. But that, to me, is the, the essence of everything in life, right? There's so many things that people believe to be true that are the result of something from their childhood, you know, not to get all Jungian on you, but the, the more we look at these things, we see it. So it makes sense to say that this is a mental health issue, that it's not a, an issue of sexuality or being trapped in the wrong body. And it's not something that you need to remedy physically. Right. I mean, and if you do, and I've always asked this question, I've yet to find the, the, uh, what do they call it? Gender affirming care practitioner that can answer it satisfactorily to me. But why, if I'm a boy and I go there and I say, Hey doc, I don't know. I don't feel like a boy. Why wouldn't you like check my levels of testosterone, estrogen, whatever, make sure they're right. And that they're normal for a kid that age. And maybe you find something that's interesting. Like, Oh man, maybe you don't have enough or you have too much estrogen or you need, you know, you, why, jump on board and say, we're just going to pump you with estrogen. 
We're going to block the the testosterone so that you can, you know, be more girly. And uh, that's the answer. Instead of the other way around, which would be easier, I would think. I don't feel like a boy. All right, let's see if we can help you feel like a boy. I don't know. I just makes all the sense in the world to me. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that later on with uh, Keisha King, who's scheduled to be with us. Uh, it's late night radio, so you never know what happens. Sometimes people get tied up in things like sleep. <laughs> anyway, um, I also want to get into some Reagan stuff. We're going to get into some Ronald Reagan, uh, some quotes and some uh, some of the history behind Reagan, his birthday. Uh, even when it's not Reagan's birthday, I love to talk about Reagan because he was such a great communicator and, and was able to convey some complex truths very simply and it made a lot of sense and he did it um, effectively and in an entertaining manner and I think that's important right uh, we can all take a page from the Ronald Reagan playbook and and be better at communicating the message of conservatism of of patriotism I think he was so good at it two of my favorite speeches obviously are his um, second inaugural address and a time for choosing and we got clips of a couple of those um, coming up later. So keep it locked here, folks. I am Rich Valdez. Make sure you check out the website, by the way, richvaldezamericaatnight.com. Subscribe to the podcast. I also have the other podcast, the one that started everything, This Is America. Make sure you subscribe to that one, too. Anyway, folks, keep it locked right here. Hour number two is coming up. Don't go anywhere. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the Tuesday night edition of the program. It's our number two, our telephone number, if you want to join us on our late night national town hall conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And there's a few things in the news today. An appeals court has ruled that... Uh, Trump has no presidential immunity from January 6th prosecution. Uh, Trump says he will appeal that and bring it to the Supreme Court that we don't have, that the president has no power if he has no immunity. And uh, Congress has immunity. Uh, lots of people have immunity. So why wouldn't um, the president? And I think that's an important question to be asked. Uh, we also have Elon Musk offering to pay for... Um, for a lawsuit against Disney. And uh, that, that's interesting. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, I want to get into that. Uh, I love Elon Musk the way he gets. I don't, I'm not saying I love Elon Musk. I love how Elon Musk kind of interjects himself into to things with, you know, just a quick comment here and there. And it, and it becomes quite a stir because, you know, he's Elon Musk. And uh, and, and that's cool. I think, you know, he, he doesn't let a day go by without uh, stirring the pot a little bit. And uh, that's good for all of us, right? <laughs> we got things to talk about. And what else did I want to share with you before we get into uh, 
the story of the day. Yeah, that's it for now. I'll get to the other stuff later. What I wanted to talk about is Ronald Reagan, right? I'm a big fan of Reagan's, and who better to talk about Reagan with on Reagan's birthday than Craig Shirley? Craig Shirley is the author of The Search for Reagan, The Appealing Intellectual Conservatism of Ronald Reagan. It's a brand-new book. It's coming out on Tuesday, and Craig Shirley is with us. Craig Shirley, welcome, sir. Good to be back with you. Always a pleasure to have you on. Now, before we dig into this, I want to get your reaction to a a snippet of audio that I know you're familiar with. And it's from one of Reagan's many uh, very eloquent speeches. This is from, let's see, this is from one of my favorites where he talks about how important it is to protect America because there is no plan B. Listen to this. Right. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. And this, this is the meaning in the phrase of Barry Goldwater, peace through strength. Winston Churchill said the destiny of man is not measured by material computations. When great forces are on the move in the world, we learn we're spirits, not animals. And he said there's something going on in time and space and beyond time and space, which whether we like it or not, spells duty. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. We will keep in mind and remember that Barry Goldwater has faith in us. He has faith that you and I have the ability and the dignity and the right to make our own decisions and determine our own destiny. Thank you very much. Now, that is Ronald Reagan in his Time for Choosing speech in 1964 on the stump for Barry Goldwater. And, Craig Shirley, when you hear that, what comes to mind? Um, I, you know what? It, it, it's, funny, it's funny you ask me that because I still get goosebumps every time I hear it. I, mm-hmm. I remember when I was a child, my father brought that record home. Uh, and he made my brother and me sit down and listen to it. And there, it was 1965. Um, I was just nine years old then, but he made my brother and I sit down and listen to it. We listened to it, but it was a you know LP, LP you know uh, record album, and uh, and my father, afterwards my father exclaimed, he said, "This man Reagan himself should be president." And that was 1965, so my father was prescient. I, I, his words are timeless. What he says in that speech it doesn't it just apply to the 1964 campaign? It applies to today as far as personal rights, personal dignity, um, the, the, the role of government and the role not of government. Uh, everything that we talk about today still resonates in that speech. You know, and that's what I, I love about the Reagan speeches. Not everybody gives yeah. a speech that you could play, I don't know, 40 or 50 years later and, and have it be so timeless. Yet, yes. Yeah. So much of but, what Reagan did was like that. He was from an era, you know who else gave his great speeches all like that, too, was John Kennedy. I loved to listen to his inaugural uh, speech, his inaugural address. I thought, you know, uh, 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 I think it's just, it's one of the classics. Um, but they came from an era before the advent, really before the advent of radio, before there was any television or anything like that, when politicians... Would, you know, part of the July 4th entertainment would be politicians giving stem liners in the gazebo in the, in the city park. And they had to be up on their McGuffey's readers 
Um, and they, they had a politician had to be a good public speaker. And so that, that's the era they came out of. Uh, every politician of that era, you know, uh, you know, whether it's Franklin Roosevelt or uh, Harry Truman, uh, they were all they were all very good public speakers. And it, it says a lot about how uh, culture in general has changed. Right. I mean, yes. today still they, they have to be good public speakers. But I think today it's more the the gotcha rhetoric that people try to specialize in as opposed to really appealing to the people appealing to the masses like Reagan sure. with, with appearing, uh, appealing exactly I'm with, sorry with these, I'm, oh, I'm just saying with not everybody has that ability to to take a, a big idea or a philosophy right a movement and Absolutely. turn it into a, a couple of words yet he was able to do that he was able to do that uh, and you're right is that very few people today I mean, it's mostly in sound bites it's mostly like you said in gotcha you know, quotes and quips and things like that. It's not, uh, we don't have the attention span that we used to. It's all, it's all condensed down into uh, 20 seconds of, uh, of, of, of broadcast time or television time or something like that. But, you know, it, that was from an era, uh, whether, it was, whether it was Reagan or it was John Kennedy or it was uh, Franklin Roosevelt. Franklin Roosevelt used to, you know, the fireside chats, you know. Uh, right. they, you know, uh, and he gave weekly press conferences and he talked at length. And Harry Truman, you know, uh, gave, you know, frequent press conferences and talked at length. The same thing with uh, Dwight Eisenhower. Uh, is that it was from a, a different era when a politician was was supposed to be able to talk at length, talk extem- extemporaneously about many and ver- varied issues. Now, in your book, The Search for Reagan, The Appealing yeah. Intellectual Conservatism of Ronald Reagan, uh, tell us a little bit about what what made you write this. This is your, your sixth book on right. President yeah. Reagan. Right. Um, and, you know, some would think, what else could you possibly write about? I'm sure you have plenty of material. But, well, but you know, uh, tell us about it. Well, Richard, that, yeah, that's a great question. And that's the fascinating thing about Reagan is that he is such a, a wealth of, of, uh, of uh, a treasure trove of information. And uh, that there's, there's always something new uh, that I find to write about. Now, this book in particular, the other books, the, the other Reagan books that I wrote were about places, about time, about the 80 campaign, about the 76 campaign, about his post-presidency. Uh, about that uh, time in between 76 and 80, which was so critical in developing the 1980 campaign. This one doesn't go after a, a period of time. This is an exploration of Reagan's intellect, his compassion, uh, his, uh, his, uh, his spirit, his, his personal philosophy. And, and, so I, and I go after also all those issues that the left has lied about him over the years, you know, Reagan and uh, Reagan and homosexuality, Reagan and AIDS, Reagan and Gorbachev, Reagan and Martin Luther King holiday, Reagan and Japanese reparations, uh, and other issues where the left said these things about Reagan. But, you know, as, as Napoleon once said, history is a pack of lies agreed upon, right? <laughs> so I tear apart, um, you know, what, what he did, like, for instance, on, uh, on, on gay rights. In 1978, there was a proposition out in California, Prop 6, which was projected to win. It was, it was the era of Anita Bryant and, and you, know, uh, 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 plant, you know, banning homosexuality or limiting it or something like that. Uh, and Prop 6 proposed to prohi- prohibit gays from teaching in public schools out in California or advocating a gay lifestyle. 
and uh, it was is being sponsored by a lot of pro-life groups and a lot of pro-family groups and things like that. And th- they thought it was going to win overwhelmingly. And the early polling had it winning overwhelmingly. And Reagan took a courageous position against it. Now, he needed the support of these conservative right-of-center uh, pro-family groups right. in his run for president in 1980. But he went against them. He said, this is a matter of personal dignity. This is a matter of personal rights. This is a matter of First Amendment. And he took the lead in campaigning against Proposition 6. He wrote, uh, edit, uh, he wrote op-eds for the, uh, for the L.A. Times. He, he uh, campaigned against it. He gave speeches against it, uh, and and it went down to it went it, in the end. It went down to a crashing defeat, and a number of uh, of uh, gay activists out there were quoted saying, "Is that without Ronald Reagan interceding in this issue, it would have passed?" Uh, so that's just one example. Now, you know, Craig Shirley, really a, let me a ask you on, on that term. one. Do, do you think that is? Because of um, his son, uh, Ronald Reagan Jr., um, I think he's gay. Uh, or do you think this is because of uh, like a real libertarian stance? No, this was, this was because his political philosophy. I always describe Reagan as a small-L libertarian. You know, he once said that uh, libertarianism was the fundamental basis of American conservatism. He told that to uh, Reason Magazine, which was the... Uh, which was the magazine of the of American libertarian movement in uh, in America, um, and he and he he was felt, felt very very strongly about about personal dignity, about speech, privacy, uh, the, the rights of the individual. These are things that he was absolutely irresolute on. He was just not going to be changed in his mind whatsoever, in any way, shape, or form. It was just that he believed very, very strongly, and it, it played out throughout his entire life and throughout his entire presidency. Folks, we're on with Craig Shirley, presidential historian. His book comes out next Tuesday, The Search for Reagan, The Appealing Intellectual Conservatism of Ronald Reagan. And um, you can uh, pre-order that on Amazon. We're going to come back with Craig Shirley and continue uh, some of our Reagan conversation. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Rich Valdez, who, again, will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to it. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, I think it's time we ask ourselves if we still know the freedoms that were intended for us by the Founding Fathers. Not too long ago, two friends of mine were talking to a Cuban refugee, a businessman who had escaped from Castro. And in the midst of his story, one of my friends turned to the other and said, we don't know how lucky we are. And the Cuban stopped and said, how lucky you are. I had some place to escape to. And in that sentence, he told us the entire story. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. And this idea that government is beholden to the people, that it has no other source of power except the sovereign people, is still the newest and the most unique idea in all the long history of man's relation to man. So that is... uh... 
Reagan uh, in his Time for Choosing speech, again, 1964, and really, again, summing it up, right, by one sentence that the man said was that there's nowhere for us to go, (laughs) right? Everybody else can come here in the face of tyranny, uh, in pursuit of liberty, but we have nowhere to go, so we've got to take care of this country that we've been given. Craig Shirley, presidential historian, the author of The Search for Reagan, The Appealing Intellectual Conservatism of Ronald Reagan, uh, book comes out next Tuesday, by the way. Make sure you get two copies, one for yourself, one to give away. Uh, when, you, when you hear that, that story about the uh, Cuban refugee, uh, what, uh, what's the impact it has on you, Craig Shirley? The, 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 those words are, are truer today than they were in 1964. Is that we've got people streaming over the border coming into America illegally in search of freedom. They're getting away from the, the oppression of uh, Venezuela and the, the other uh, South American and Central American countries and China. I mean, they, they, I just saw it today on uh, articles that already 17,000 uh, Chinese uh, refugees have been picked up on the border from, from mainland China for escaping communism in mainland China. So they're still seeking out America, as, the la- as Reagan said, as the last best hope of, of, of men on earth, of men on earth. Uh, so, so his words were prescient, weren't they? Amen to that. I, I think yeah. so much of, of what Reagan talked about was so prescient always. And what, when you talk about the difference of, of this particular book uh, versus the others that were focused on a particular point in time, uh, what's the big uh, standout for, for this book? Um, I, I guess what are you anchoring as his appealing intellectual um, approach of selling conservatism. Um, boy, that's a tough. That's a tough question. Um, that he everything begins with the individual, and he recognized that. He believed that. He believed that. You know, going back to the American Revolution, which was about the which is about the rights of the individual, throwing off the oppression of the Church of England and of uh, King George II and King George III. And that we are the heirs, as he said, we are the heirs of that first revolution. And that is still true today, uh, intellectually, is that we know the individual is superior to the state. That the, 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 the rights and dignity and freedom and privacy of the, of the individual is, is paramount. And that nothing should be, should, anything that threatens that is a threat, is a threat to the future is a threat to the future of, of man, of women, of, of, of the family, of, 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 very, of the very nation, uh, is that the, the foundation of America is uh, the rights of the individual. Uh, and if that goes, then, then we lose America. Scary stuff, Craig. Very yes. scary stuff. Um, yes. In the minute or so that we have remaining, um, do you think that we ever get away from this this time i mean because part of it's discouraging but part of it's encouraging right we look at what reagan was talking about this stuff way back then uh saying that you know we're we're losing our freedoms we're losing our liberty and here we are 50 years later and um or more and we um we're still losing them (laughs) so it's kind of like yeah the problem persists but we we have still maintained so i guess in in a yes or no manner do you think it gets better 
Uh, yes, I do it because it has to get better. There is an ebb and flow to American history. There have been times of contraction of human of human freedom and the expansion of human freedom. Is that under under Abraham Lincoln, he suspended habeas corpus. He he uh, he, he imprisoned newspaper editors who dis, who wrote editorials that dis, displeased him. So rights. Individual mm-hmm. rights under Abraham Lincoln contracted, but then they expanded again uh, later in that century. Then they contracted again under the early days of the New Deal with the, you know the, the expansion of government. The one thing I, I, I you know I'll just say this real quickly is that yeah. in, I remember one thing in high school physics when I wasn't falling asleep. I remember the teacher saying, "He said power can neither be destroyed nor created; it can only be moved around." And so that's the eternal struggle, is where does power reside? Does it reside with the state or the individual? Because it shifts back and forth all the time. Folks, Craig Shirley's new book is coming out Tuesday. Get it, The Search for Reagan, The Appealing Intellectual Conservatism of Ronald Reagan. Craig Shirley, you are a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, and I thank you for being here. Folks, stick around. More to come. I'm Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And we continue our conversation on what's going on in America at night, live across the country. If you want to join the conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDES. And one of the things I want to talk about is what's going on in schools. And, you know, I'm good for this at least once or twice uh, a week, right? I think it's super important to stay focused on talking about what is going on with children and whether your kids are still in school or not. Like mine aren't, right? My kids are both in college, but that doesn't mean we turn a blind eye. I think it's super important that we know what's going on because we all have a responsibility. It's kind of like the stuff Reagan was talking about before. We, we have, it's, it's a time for choosing, right? We have to protect this nation and what happens moving forward. And, uh, looking out for our kids, making sure that woke indoctrination doesn't um, permeate the school system and destroy their future, taint their future, is a a big part of it, of our collective responsibility. And on this program, I oftentimes will play for anybody who's in that space a clip of audio from a woman named Stacy Robustelli. And uh, I take exception, I take umbrage, because I think she, what she does is disgusting. It's just my personal belief. She works for an organization called High Tops. And you've, if you've listened to, to this show, you've heard me talk about this a number of times. And their goal, what they do, is they're a nonprofit that works with public schools to promote gender, gender, I forget what it's called, queer theory and uh, gender, whatever, I don't know, gender um, education. And... And they literally have like sessions where they're hopeful that the kids will what they call um, come out, right, and go to the principal's office and tell them, hey, I've made a decision to become part of the LGBTQ plus community. And it's crazy. It's almost like, you know, like a church, if you will, in a very sick way. And I'm going to play this clip of audio and then I'm going to introduce our guest because I I think it's um, it's so important that we pay attention to what's going on. Listen to this. 
The most critical time to be there is grades five through eight because you wanna catch kids when they're starting puberty because that's the time in which identity formation is central to their lives. However, early intervention is key. So we actually are designing a kindergarten through grade two curriculum this summer. And I will tell you, one of the most rewarding experiences, Nikki, uh, we were in a local school system in an elementary school, and uh, we were in grades three, four, and five. And after we were there, um, five students went to the principal's office and came out. So we are really intentionally going into younger and younger grades. That, again, is Stacey Robastelli, uh, Director of Education for this organization called High Tops. And she talks about early intervention. So their focus is on grades through five through eight. But early intervention means they want to get into kindergarten to third grade. I mean, absolutely crazy what's going on here. So I want to bring in our guest, uh, Keisha King. She is the founder of the Mass Exodus Movement. And um, their goal is to get children into better learning environments. She also hosts the Keisha King podcast. And she's a mom. Uh, she's a mom from from Florida that made waves back in 2021, uh, being very vocal against CRT. And we had her on the show back then. And I'm happy to welcome her back. Keisha King, welcome. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So let's talk about your reaction to the audio clip that you just heard. It's from last summer. It's not brand new. But I, I play it for anybody that's talking about this subject with me because I find like it, it, it's it's a good memory jogger. What's your reaction? You know, we see it so often. And I think um, because it's so jarring, because um, it's so, you know, for, the, for most of us, it's not something that we would ever think to do. We would never think to do anything like that. So when you hear it, it's hard to believe that somebody is actually vocal yeah. and saying these things and, you know, telling you what they're trying to do. To children. And so when you first hear it, it's, it's, you know, you still can't believe it. I see, you know, we still, we still see a lot of the things that we saw, you know, back in 2020, you know, even today. And it's, it's just as bad and sometimes even worse, you know, than it was back then. And, um, you know, it, it's, it says a lot about where we are as a country where you have people that are so open to be uh, vocal about what they're doing to children with no, no, no thought of like, okay, this is wrong. You know, they're very comfortable saying it. Right. And that's, that's the part that gets me how, how not only comfortable she is saying it, but how happy she gets about these Mm -hmm. people showing up at the principal's office and how normalized it seems. And it makes me think, you know, she's not the only one. There are people that fund her operation, probably the government and others, that, that appreciate this work, that really think that this is a good thing, that they're so happy that there are people out there. They're happy that there are drag queens in libraries. They're happy that there are drag queens visiting kindergarten kids. And, and I, I, I honestly, it doesn't fit in my head, but it's, it's there. And I have to make it fit in my head because it's a part of life. How do you reconcile that? I don't, and I never will. (laughs) You know, I I won't try to make it seem like it's normal. I won't try to make it seem like, you know, it's something that is okay because it's, it's just not. And I think the, the more we come to understand why they are doing this, these people who push, you know, critical race theory, gender ideology, you know, queer theory, it's all from the same thing. And I know, you know, we, we say it so much, but, 
I still feel like, you know, most Americans don't really understand that these things come from communism. These people are Marxists. Their goal is to tear down America. And because that's the goal and they will, they will do anything to accomplish that goal. The children are just uh, collateral damage. You know, they will do anything to, to demoralize the country because when, when someone is demoralized, you know, first they've done, dumbed them down through the education system, or we can't even call it education system, from, through the schooling system. They've dumbed them down. They have killed the imagination. And, you know, now they are in the process of making them minions of the state. And so in order to sort of finalize that process, you demoralize the society. And when you're literally vocal, open, comfortable saying, yes, we're going to mutilate these children. Uh, We're going to, um, we will do anything that, uh, that we deem um, that we want to do to them. And parents, you have no say, Uh, you know, government, school boards, you have no say. Uh, We have decided that we will parent them now, basically, and, you know, we will, we will instill into them our values. And they are trying to, what their, their goal is to raise up a generation that is even further to the left than they are, that will go ahead and run this ball home, so to speak, uh, to accomplish their, their communist agenda. That's crazy, but I think you're right. And I want to pull on that thread because I think you're, this is really the, the crux of it. And I think I'm glad that you called it out. If you understand the communist movement, then this stuff becomes very evident. If you think the communist movement is something that is from a long time ago and that people that see communism in these movements are, you know, red scare, hyperbolic types, uh, then you're you're not going to get it. But this literally has the the fingerprints of uh, Lenin and Stalin and Marx all over it. And I want to pull on that thread a little bit when we come back. Folks, we're on with Keisha King, founder of the Mass Exodus Movement. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America. Welcome back. We're on with Keisha King. Uh, she is a conservative mom that's taking on the the indoctrination establishment in in the, the world of education. And Keisha King, um, something that you mentioned earlier, which was that this is part of, uh, you know, the Marxist playbook. I think that's it's incredibly important. And and the reason I think it's important is because once you understand it, you know the, the end goal, right? And you know how they're going to go about it. And what's your warning to, to folks that are thinking, this is just people seeing things differently than us. This is just you and me being intolerant of the views of others. You know, it's part of, uh, it's part of the schooling system, you know, that we don't 
know the signs and we don't know the history of uh, Marx and yeah. uh, Stalin and Lenin. And, it, you know, it's indicative of a poor uh, education system, um, which, you know, which was never, if, if we look at the history, you know, was never meant to educate children in the first place. You know, our forefathers and the founding fathers and you know many of that came before us, you know, that we, you probably have heard of the one room schoolhouse, you know, yeah. uh, which, where we were, um, you know, creating some of the brightest thinkers and, and, and scientists and philosophers and, you know, so many great things were coming out of America because we had a real classical um, education. And what we see today is it, it's, a, it's a dumbing down. They don't want the children. Um, they don't want a society that is educated because if you're educated, then you can be controlled. And so these managers of society. They want to come in and basically control how things are going, and that is exactly um, what they're doing. And so in order for us to combat this, um, I was thinking about what I did with my own children and how they turned out, you know, not to toot my own horn, but toot, toot. Toot away. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and um they really, you know, there were some, when, when I came out of my, uh, you know, understanding of the Democrat party and, and, you know, that whole thing and the, I, my skin color being an idol, um, I started to read more. I started to educate myself and I raised my children differently. So this is back in 2017. And, um, well, well let me ask you, so I, the, the listeners are up okay. to speed. What prompted that journey for you? Well, I was having a conversation uh, with my, a family member uh, about uh, BLM, and we were talking about black-on-black black crime, and I said, I'm going to go look up the numbers, and I went to look up the numbers and uh, on the FBI uh, website, and I just I was astonished because if you looked at the news, you know, they were telling you that black men were being shot, you know, all by over the place cops. by the police, by white cops. And then when I saw, you know, at that point in time, it was like less than 10 and so it was like less than 10 black, uh, you know, quote unquote, unarmed black men being shot by the police. But it was, you know, almost 10,000 that had been shot by other black men. And nobody was saying anything about that. And it was just so jarring to me to see it right there, you know, on in, in black and white. And so it just prompted me to start doing more digging. And I came across Dr. Thomas Sowell, Walter Williams, and Milton Friedman. And I was mm. like, oh, my gosh, where have I been? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yes. And then um, I had a, a, a even bigger transformation when, um, you know, the, the Lord spoke to my heart and told me that my skin color had become an idol in my life. And that really just shattered. I mean, it just totally changed my life. You know, living life through the lens of being black instead of living life through the lens of being uh, a Christian What's woman. What's wrong with embracing your culture? Because black isn't, a, it's not a culture. It's, it's, Black itself is not a culture. It has, it is certainly today has become um, this thing that we're supposed to uplift. Like just, you know, you knowing that I'm a black woman, you can see that I'm black. It doesn't tell you anything about me, but now skin color is supposed to tell you if you're an oppressor or oppressed, mm -hmm. you know, this, this whole focus on race is, is ridiculous. You know, skin doesn't think, it doesn't, it doesn't reason, it does not, um, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't tell you anything about me. And so the more and more we focus on race, 
the more we are unable to really connect with each other because we think we know, you know, we can sum you up now because, you know, we, we know your history. If you're white, you're an oppressor. Of course you are. You're a white supremacist. <laughs> but, you, you know, if you're, if you're black, you know, you're, you're, you're poor, you're uneducated, you're oppressed, you know. And I can, certainly, I can tell you, these kids are walking around with $1,000 cell phones in their pocket. They are not oppressed just because right. they're black. <laughs> you know, yeah. and they're not oppressors if just because they're white. It's ridiculous. But, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I just wanted to say I asked the question about culture because I think that uh, while you're right, skin color is one thing and culture is another. Uh, I think you, you haven't really had a worship experience on a Sunday until you've gone to a black church, right? <laughs> it, it's it, it, There is something about black culture, right, that is just very special, or if you've gone to a good soul food restaurant. So I think, you know, mm-hmm. there, there's parts of one's experience, or even for me, my, my family's Puerto Rican, uh, and, you know, we have great music and great food and, and dance and all sorts of, um, you know, warm mannerisms, and, and, and yeah. I think all of that stuff is great. Um, as long as you don't see one person as an oppressor and the other person as a as as the oppressed based on that right or say that you know just blanket say uh, um, the united states is imperialist and they're uh, oppressors because once you do that and you hang your your hat on race solely on race then i think you really you, you lose any aspect of any conversation that leads to the truth uh, i'm going to take a quick pause here we're going to come back and continue this conversation with keisha king don't go anywhere this is america at night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. The twice-impeached, four-times-indicted former president talks about being a dictator. I really don't think that's a joke. I think he's for real. For four years, Trump turned the federal government into a horrifying weapon for his own personal gain, to serve his racist goals, punish his enemies, and to attack reality. That is uh, Congresswoman Sylvia, I think her name is Garcia, And uh, she says that Trump used the federal government for four years to be a dictator for his racist goals. Keisha King, what do you say about that? I think she misspoke. I think she meant to say Joe Biden, because uh, that seems more fitting, because I don't know what she's talking about. Like, I I just I don't know. And it seems, you know, that narrative is, is certainly not it's not working as well as it used to, you know, so many people are, and now they have an actual comparison, <laughs> you know, they can see back to back. Okay. And America under Trump and America under Biden and, you know, Biden is, you know, they're, they're grasping at straws at this point, you know, there's no, he's going down fast. <laughs> you know, I, I'm seeing a lot of um, social media posts of black men uh, saying, look, you know, we're going with Trump. <laughs> we're definitely not going with Biden. And, and, mm-hmm. and it's more so than I've seen in the past. And I don't know if it's AstroTurf or if it's grassroots, but 
What are you seeing in, uh, in the real world? I think, um, I think there are a lot of people who are willing to give Trump a try. Um, that's a good little slogan too. give Trump a try. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think there are a lot of people who are willing to do that. And I'm really happy to see that 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 uh, Democrat stronghold is being broken up. This is the issue that people have to realize, though, when you have people um, when you have an RNC that doesn't have the apparatus to really you know, we don't have a soul to the poll. <laughs> you know, we don't have like these these apparatuses that can go out and get people to the polls, help them remember to vote, help them to know where their polling place is, like the actual right. the tactical things to get them there for to do something that is not kind of like within their everyday routine. Um, you know, having worked on campaign, worked on the 2020 campaign um, for uh, uh, with President Trump, seeing how much work it takes to get people to vote. It's a lot to get people to the polling place. Yeah, it's a ton of work to get people out there. Keisha King, I don't want to rush you, but I want to make sure you plug your website. Let everybody know how they can find you. Yes, um, it's massexodusmovement.com. So please go there. I have a free parent guide to stop indoctrination in the classroom. You don't want to miss this workshop. Don't miss it. Keisha King and the website again is Mass Exodus Movement. Folks, thank you for listening to Keisha King. Keisha King, thanks for being here. I'm Rich Valdez. that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you this Tuesday night. And if you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, now's the time, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. This is the third hour of the program where we call it Open Phone America, so you guys get to weigh in and uh, tell us your thoughts and I'm going to get to your, your calls in a moment. Uh, a couple of things I want to bring up. Uh, a lot of news today. Obviously, um, we uh, had some discussion earlier with Ted Nugent on the passing of country legend uh, Toby Keith. And that was a really interesting conversation uh, with a lot of insight. And uh, we also talked about the uh, birthday of the late, great Ronald Reagan, uh, President Reagan. And we... Also had that discussion with Craig Shirley, by the way. And we also had a really, uh, I had a lot of fun discussing um, the woke ideology with Keisha King and how they're coming after the kids. And uh, now I want to talk with you guys about what's going on in the world. Uh, There's a bunch going on here, right? So we've got Rona McDonald. She's been um, fired 
uh, well, stepping down, right, stepping down from the Republican National Committee as chairwoman. Um, she's gone later this month. She's out the door. Then we've got the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas. Now, I haven't been avoiding this. It's just that there isn't a ton to report. Uh, there was, you know, some some movement with uh, impeachment, and I think there was a lot of thought where where people were ready to to go forward with this, and I think they got a curveball, and the Republicans are the ones that that threw the curveball because we had a, a congressman that was scheduled to be an impeachment manager on the Mayorkas impeachment. And that didn't happen because the vote didn't happen. And I think everybody up until like this afternoon thought that was happening. So a couple of people threw um, this little um, curveball. And I'm going to tell you who they are. Let's see here. Here we go. It's three Republicans, four, four of them, but three of them just flat out voted against impeaching Mayorkas. Tom McClintock from California. Ken Buck from Colorado. Mike Gallagher from Wisconsin. Those are the three congressmen that voted um, to not impeach Mayorkas. And then we've got, now and I got to think, what's the downside to impeaching Mayorkas? Really? Like, what, what is the downside? I, I don't know. And then a fourth Republican, uh, Congressman Blake Moore, he voted no only because he wanted to control the ability to bring the matter up again. Um, so, and we've heard this before, like when Marjorie Taylor Greene said, uh, proposed the articles of impeachment against Joe Biden. And they said, well, we're going to we're going to table those because we're going to do it later. Right. And we still haven't seen that happen. Now we're tabling the idea to impeach Mayorkas. I, I just don't understand, you know, and hopefully maybe one of these congressmen will join us to tell us why they opposed impeaching Mayorkas. Uh, I think we impeached Mayorkas and we should go right after Biden. That's my thinking. I could be wrong. Uh, but I think most of the people are with me on that one. Right. I, I can't imagine that people think that it's a good idea to keep Mayorkas. The guy's horrible. So that's uh, part of what happened there. And Biden took to um, to the microphone today at the White House saying that if this bill in Congress fails, it's because of Trump and his extreme MAGA friends. Listen to this. So I'm calling on Congress to pass this bill, get it to my desk immediately. But if the bill fails, I want to be absolutely clear about something. The American people are going to know why it failed. I'll be taking this issue to the country, and the voters are going to know that it's not just a moment. Just at the moment, we're going to secure the border and fund these other programs. Trump and the MAGA Republicans said no, because they're afraid of Donald Trump afraid of Donald Trump. Every day between now and November, the American people are going to know that the only reason the border is not secure is Donald Trump and his MAGA Republican friends. It's time for Republicans in the Congress to show a little courage, to show a little spine, to make it clear to the American people that you work for them, not for anyone else. I know who I work for. I work for the American people. Mr. President Joe El Baboso Biden, which Baboso, if, if you've forgotten, means a uh, bumbling, drooling one. And um, Mr. President Baboso.
you really think any of the American people listening to this address, anybody, thinks that the border is in better shape now than it was when Trump was in the White House and that they're going to believe for a second that the reason the border is not working now is because of Trump? The only way they believe that is they're going to say, yeah, it's because of Trump not being in the White House. It's because you're in the White House, and that's why we have a problem. So, yes, it is Trump. Closed, but because he's not in the White House. So I, I don't understand why we're in this situation, um, or at least why Biden thinks that we're in this situation because of Trump, because it couldn't be more wrong. But Trump responded. He fires back. He was on Newsmax yesterday. And he says that the Senate bill is a trap for Republicans and it could end the careers of certain Republican senators. Listen to this. This is a, uh, a Democrat trap. It's a trap for Republicans that would be so stupid, so foolish to sign a bill like this. This bill can't be signed. And it's not only that, it's massive amounts of money going out of town, as we say, going out of town, billions and billions and billions of dollars. And uh, it's so bad on the border. I've never seen anything like it. Actually, it's one of the worst, one of the dumbest bills I've ever seen. I think it's dead, totally dead of the House. I think they have almost unanimous or unanimous support. But I can't imagine anybody wanting to approve this bill. Now, Biden says that people are afraid of Trump. Do you think it's that they're afraid of Trump or it's that Trump makes so much sense with the people? And he represents the will of the people, right? I mean, I, I, I can't say that what Trump is saying is not congruent with most Americans, or at least most of the ones I talk to. I can't, I can't remember, other than the guy who calls this show all the time, and I appreciate him calling, the guy from San Francisco, David, uh, that makes you know lots of different points that I don't agree with. But I, I can't remember the last time I spoke to somebody that thought, man, that's a good idea. Let's let a bunch of guys, you know, 50, 60, 75 guys at a time come in from China, right? The thing we just saw in 60 minutes. They're the largest group of migrants coming through the border right now, Chinese men. How is that a good idea, right? Uh, Or even Eric Adams, right? Listen to this. I saw this clip right here. Eric Adams, let's see. He says that the majority of the people that are coming to the country are really trying to take the next steps in the American dream. I think this is outrageous, but you're going to hear this clip when we come back. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. It's America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. 
I strongly believe that the overwhelming number of the 175,000 we're up to about, they're here trying to take the next step in the American dream. And I see them, I speak with them. And says that the overwhelming number of the 175,000 illegal immigrants that are in New York City are here to take the next step in the American dream. And guess what? I believe him. And I, I, I agree. The problem is when you have an unvetted, unchecked immigration process, you're going to get the problems that we have. Now, he went on to talk about that there was a minority of them that would commit crimes and that whether they were migrants or asylum seekers, that any New Yorker that thinks it's OK for them to commit a crime in the city is not acceptable. And that's what we're seeing. And he's talking about these six or seven guys that that jumped these two cops and, and beat them, kicked them while they were down and whatnot, and then were released without bail, walked out of the police station with not one but two middle fingers to all of the cameras, a big F you to America, and then um, went down to Phoenix where they got locked up again. And this is problematic because... It, it's not about the overwhelming majority of illegal immigrants here to take the next step in the American dream. It's about America having a say in what happens in the country, not just Joe Biden making unilateral decisions for all the rest of us, for every last person that has a kid in public school, for every last person that is going to have to deal with the onslaught of increased population, not to mention that they're not all here to do good. Now, I'm not saying it's the majority. I get it. Uh, I, I don't think anybody's asking for more people to come here to, to pursue the American dream. I think that's the problem. The problem is not that it's a small minority of them. We, we, we have a problem because of this problem. If we eliminate this problem of allowing people in to pursue their next step in the American dream, guess what happens when you have a closed border? It's closed and you don't have the rest of the problems that come with them i.e. cops getting beat up and all the rest of these things that are going on. It's really not that difficult to understand. Have control of your border. And lamentably, Joe Biden has control and he's chosen to keep it very porous, very open. And obviously that's not working out, not working out for the cops in New York that got kicked while they were down, not working out for anybody else that's paying the price for this. So I want to get to your calls. On this and everything else, of course, we talked about Ronald Reagan. We talked about the brainwashing of our kids. Uh, we talked about a number of things this evening. And I'm going to start with, let's see, uh, Sandy calling from New York on WFAS. Sandy, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hi, how are you? Wonderful. Thank you. I listen to you every night oh, and thanks. I totally agree with your mindset on everything. I just can't believe what's happening to this country. After listening with Keisha, I totally agree with what she's talking about. We have, it's a mind control thing. Uh, here, there, and everywhere, slowly infiltrating our minds. Uh, ads, uh, the open border, uh, letting all these people come in, uh, telling us that they're coming here because they want to have a better life. No, that isn't why they're coming here. Because he's opened the borders. They're getting free everything when the rest of us are paying for everything. Totally unfair. 
No other country allows anybody in. All our ancestors had to come here, follow rules. Right. And they didn't have, get the $2,200 debit card and the free cell phone and everything else. And now they're saying they want lawyers. They want to have every person that comes across that border to have a, a taxpayer-funded lawyer. And I think, how many people that pay taxes have their own lawyer, right? Most of them can't afford their lawyer and usually settle things because they can't afford a lawyer because it's just too much money. So you're right, Sandy. I think you're spot on with a lot of this stuff. It's really a problem, and I don't know how we solve it, Sandy. I don't know either, but I believe that we need to close the border. And I think that Trump was right to say that this bill is a trap. It is a trap. Uh, 5,000, not to go over 5,000 a day. We don't need any more. They've let way too many in. There's, there's trouble at the northern border, the southern border. Our country is being overrun. No other country would allow this. Yeah, you're Why right. Why are we? I agree with you, Sandy. And you know what's interesting is that um, this 5,000 that they keep talking about, Jay Johnson, who was the Homeland Security Secretary for Barack Obama, um, he said after his term that even having 500 people a day would be a disaster at our border. So, uh, again, that's the Obama guy saying 500 would be a disaster, let alone 10 times that amount at 5,000. Just absolute insanity uh, how we've gotten to the place that we're in. When I saw those videos, uh, yesterday I saw some videos on social media of what this migrant shelter in Queens looks like. And there was a cop in there trying to arrest somebody. And, I mean, they're outnumbered. And these people just don't care. And and I'm not trying to other them. And uh, I, I'm really not from a, a hateful place. Uh, I, I just, I'm really looking out for America, right? For all of us, for my children, for my neighbors, for everybody else. When I say I don't think we're in a position right now with inflation where it is, with, uh, with anything where, the, where it is, I don't think we need that much additional help. Uh, call me crazy. But I think we, we have plenty of people that could do the jobs that are needed. And Eric Adams made a mention of, you know, we never saw how important it was to have uh, these immigrants in our community until COVID. I think that's a lie. And he says, you know, nobody wanted to work during COVID, but they were working. Now, I'm sure they were. Uh, I think that's why immigrants come here. They want to work. They want to feed their families and build a better life for themselves. I get that. However, I worked during COVID. I was one of the very few radio hosts working during COVID. I was like, hey, whatever, I'll take the bus. I'll do what I got to do. My point is, there, when people are faced with certain opportunities, they're going to rise to certain challenges. You know, and, and I don't think we're giving Americans enough credit. And the reason we're not giving them that credit to, to take the jobs that are available. They always say, oh, they're doing the jobs Americans don't want to do. I think those are lies. And the reason I think they're lies is because if they weren't here, other people would have to do them. But if you can get cheaper labor, why wouldn't you as a business owner? And that's why they support the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. That's why they like Republicans that are weak on 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 the border. And and it's just a catch 22. So it is what it is. Anyway, Sandy, thank you for your call. Uh, I appreciate it. Before you go. Oh, you got you left. Sorry, I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, the brainwashing of children. I think that's why you called and we went somewhere else with it. But I do appreciate it. Um, let me see. Well, we're going to get to the rest of your calls. There's more calls coming in. I just don't have um, a f enough time to go to the next caller without getting bumped off by the music. So I will share with you this um, other story that I wanted to get to with um, which one is it here? The Israel bill also failed today. 14 Republicans killed that one. 
And and again, I think this is indicative of what what I was talking about at the the very very top of hour number one, which was there are people that they're not part of that old guard anymore. And I'm not saying I am or I'm not or that it's right or it's wrong. I'm just saying I believe my opinion is that the United States has always engaged in in diplomacy, you know, called foreign aid, right? And you buy people off different countries. Or you threaten them with military might. And and that was a normal thing. And I think people don't like this. And they don't want that kind of policy. So now things are different and people are looking for different outcomes. And it's very interesting to see the way it plays out because now you've got a lot of Republicans that are like, I don't want to give a dollar to anybody else that's not an American. Anyway, we'll get to that straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. So there's two ways to get $25 million. The first one is to work in a finance company and jump on a video call like Zoom or Microsoft Teams or one of those with, you know, with your boss, the uh, chief financial officer and some of your colleagues. And they tell you to release $25 million to X, Y, and Z account. And you go ahead and do it only to find out the Zoom call you were on was a deep fake. A finance worker at a multinational firm was tricked into paying out $25 million to fraudsters using deep fake technology to pose as the company's chief financial officer in a video conference call. That's according to the Hong Kong police. The elaborate scam uh, has the worker being duped into attending this video call with what he thought were several other members of his staff. And all of them were, in fact, deep fake recreations. Hong Kong police said at a briefing just on Friday, this was a multi-person video conference call. It turns out everyone he saw was fake. That's according to the superintendent of the police. Chan said the worker had grown suspicious after he received a message that was uh, allegedly from the company's UK-based chief financial officer. Initially, the worker suspected it was a phishing email as it talked of the need for a secret transaction to be carried out. However, the worker put aside his early doubts after the video call because other people in attendance uh, looked and sounded just like the colleagues he actually knew. So there you have it. Imagine that your boss is on a Zoom call with you and he's like, yeah, yeah, just give this guy $25 million. Um, Wow. That's all I could say is wow. Now, there's another story about $25 million. Very interesting. This guy, he gets ousted. He's a sports broadcaster. He gets ousted for making racist comments, but it turns out he didn't make the racist comments. It was his, his colleague next to him that was making them, and he'd lost his job anyway. Well, anyway, this guy sues, and he makes $25 million on a lawsuit. And I'm thinking, geez, 
25 million is a lot more than I make doing this show. <laughs> so if you hear me say something crazy, uh, we'll blame it on the guys in the control room and I'll split the 25 million with you. Anyway, I want to get to your calls. Uh, let's go to Michael Pendleton, Oregon, on the West Coast, listening on KUMA. Michael, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hey, Rich. Great show as usual. Thank um, you. I had to call in, uh, and Mr. Shirley, the great guest, uh, and his book uh, on um, uh, Ronald Reagan. Uh, I was a big supporter of his. And as you always advise us, uh, I'm going to get that book and a copy for my brother. I think he will enjoy it. He was a big supporter of President Reagan and uh, President Trump, um, as we are. Uh, I had to mention this book, Rich. I've had it for, I probably got it 11, 12 years ago. And it's called Reagan in His Own Hand. Oh, my gosh. It's funny. So let me tell you something, Michael. Uh, I'm going to share this with you, that when I was talking to Craig Shirley, I was going to tell him, Part of the reason I'm a big fan of Ronald Reagan is because of the book Reagan in His Own Hand. Uh, I, I read that. It's a collection of letters um, in, my, in my 20s. And um, it, it's his own letters that are in published in the book. And I was going to mention it with Shirley, but I didn't want to talk about somebody else's Reagan book and steal his thunder. So I, it stayed in the back of my mind and I didn't mention it. But now that you brought it up, it's a fantastic book. And uh, definitely opened my eyes to like the inside uh, of Reagan. And there's a similar book. I forget what that one's called, but it's the same premise. And it's George Washington and includes letters from George Washington, like dating back to when he was 12 years old. He'd written lots of letters. He was a very, uh, by today's standards, pro- prolific writer. And uh, I thought that was really interesting because you kind of get inside the mind of the man when you read those things. So I'm glad you brought it up, Michael. Go right ahead. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um... I just wanted to add, he had a radio show every Saturday in the 70s, and I would listen to it. And a great show. And I found this book, Rich, at a Goodwill store in Walla Walla, Washington, about an hour north of me. And uh, I just found it. I was looking at books. I've always loved to read and about history and stuff. And there it was in the Goodwill store. Look at you. You scored. You You got yourself a diamond in the rough. Michael in Pendleton, Oregon. Big shout out to everybody listening on the West Coast, KUMA in the building. Michael, thanks for the call, brother. I appreciate it. Uh, Let us continue. Let's go to Jane, Albany, New York, WGDJ. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich, how are you? I I want to mention um, what the lady was speaking about with children. Now, I'm. Oh, Keisha King, yes. Yes, I'm sorry. I forgot it. Um, I'm a retired child abuse counselor. what they are trying to do to children in today's world is nothing short of a crime. It is 100% child abuse. When a child, when you send children out, you know, all a child needs to, quote, come out for is to play hopscotch or get on his swing, you know? Yeah. And they're trying to take the joy of childhood away from children. You know, they're hugging and loving and playing with their dolls and and coloring in their coloring book. And that teaches them respect and love and kindness. And what we are strong people in the United States, and we need to stay strong and be convinced that we can change this and we must change it. We, we can't, you know, because what you teach children at an early age, 
is 90% of what they walk out into the world with and pass on to others. Yeah, you know what? It's 100% true. And I've been reading, you know, from some of the the mental health folks, psychologists that we have on this program um, about things like attachment theory and, and other things about just how, how much one's childhood uh, really informs the rest of their life and, and those around them. And, um, it, you know, I got to say, not shocked, but really surprised and very enlightened on a lot of the things I've learned. And, and you're so right. And oftentimes, whether it's parents or other caregivers or the rest of society, I think so many of us aren't former child abuse counselors or mental health counselors, and we don't know uh, a lot of this stuff. And because we don't know what we don't know, um, people do things and they do silly things. And I think it's up to the rest of us that do know something uh, and those that know something to make sure that they're speaking their truth and they're out there saying things like you're saying, like, you know, you can't do that stuff. You know, uh, tell a kid to pick up a book and, and do the right thing as opposed to, you know, telling a kid to, to, you know, go through a transition or anything like that. So um, excellent point. I appreciate it. And let's go um, to a quick commercial. We'll come back with uh, the rest of your calls and more. Again, that phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. I got to tell you, America, it is so much fun to do some old school talk radio here uh, with, the, with the classic bumper music and taking calls with folks all across the country. Uh, it really is an honor, and, and I'm grateful to be here. And welcome back. Our number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And I want to share a quick story with you. This is a funny one. So there is a primary and a caucus in Nevada. And this is very interesting, right? Because of a new state law, the um, the state has a presidential preference primary in Nevada. But... They also have a long-standing caucus system as well. And if you opt to take part in the primary, then you're barred from participating in the caucus. Well, Trump had a rally last month, and he said, look, don't bother with the primary. Do the caucus. Because, excuse me, because there's delegates at stake in the caucus, and there's no delegates at stake in the primary. In effect, it means nothing. Trump said, quote, your primary vote doesn't mean anything. It's your caucus vote, Trump told supporters in Las Vegas last month. This is in The Hill, thehill.com. So 
Guess who has the bright idea to go and register for the Nevada primary? That's right. You guessed it. Nikki Haley. So Nikki Haley uh, gets into this uh, primary with Mike Pence, Tim Scott, John Castro, and none of these candidates. And yes, if you're thinking none of the above, none of the above beat Nikki Haley almost by two to one. She got 15,704 votes. None of the above beat everybody with 29,684 votes, getting 61% of the Nevada primary. None of the above was the clear winner, beating Haley, Pence, Scott, and Castro. And all I could think of is, this is pretty funny, and now she can't participate in the one that actually matters. Why you would do this, I have no idea. Why she made this choice. But that is what happened with Nikki Haley. Anyway, we will uh, continue with your calls. Let's see, where do we go? Uh, let us go to Leon calling from Las Cruces, New Mexico on K-O-B-E. Uh, Leon, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Thank you, sir. And uh, I, I, I'm i uh, fearful that our country is going to become a, a dictatorship and that um, uh, because now we have a lack of law and order and and the police are not doing anything about it because they're not they're told not to do anything about anything so they we're going to have more and more chaos and eventually people are going to start taking law in my opinion they'll start taking law into their own hand law into their own not crime and and take law into their own hands and then the government's going to going to come down with uh as a police state and as a dictatorship. And, and, well, the only way we can control this country is to have, put all in the National Guard and, and, and make, it, make it a police state and, and, and set up a, a dictator. Well, you know, Leon, I, I would love to say I think you're crazy, but I don't. And I, I think we're actually there. And it circumvents a lot of what you're talking about. So, for example, let's just say you say something like, um, I don't want my kid to learn about gender ideology or queer theory in school. I think that has no place in a public school classroom, and I stand against that. Parents that are saying that have been added to a terrorist watch list, right, as violent domestic extremists, domestic terrorists. So if that's happening right now to parents, and some of these parents were actually brought in, Right. They were arrested and detained. So when you have that happening now, before somebody could even get a chance to take law into their own hands, I think they, they'd be intercepted. I really do. Uh, I also think that only an old timer and I'm not saying you're an old timer, but I'm saying only an old timer would would um, would believe that's going to happen. Right. So I, when I was a kid. There was a guy named Bernard Goetz. By no, by no stretch of the imagination was this guy a vigilante, per se. This guy was a guy that was fed up of, of what was happening in New York City and carried a gun with him just to ride the subway because he was fearful to lose his life. And as bad luck for them would have it, I think five or six guys approached him to rob him and beat him. 
he pulled out the gun, gets into an altercation with him, and he shoots. And they tried to prosecute this guy, but he eventually, you know, um, starts to gain favor with the public because they, you know, they're like, well, the city's out of control. And again, this is back in the early 80s. The city's out of control, and Bernard Getz did what he had to do. And I think if we're not at the point of having so many Bernard Getzes in our midst right now, I don't think we ever get there because we, you know, we're literally being invaded at the border. We literally uh, have, you know, lawlessness that's being promoted by law enforcement, right? By you have prosecutors that are pro-crime progressives that are coddling criminals and they're, they're pushing this agenda. When you have a situation like that, Leon, I think we're, we're already there. And, and what ends up happening is if you stand against that, they stand ready to lock you up. So I, I think you're right with that respect. I think Biden's doing his due diligence to create a police state. And, and we see more evidence of it uh, each day, sadly. So I think you're spot on with that one, Leon. Thank you, thank you. Because I haven't heard anybody saying anything like that. Yeah, I think that the... Go ahead. Natural progression. You're right. And and I think that the problem is that I just don't think there's, A, the the will of the people to actually have a real revolt where people are going to say, you know what, let's get together and, you know, carry a baseball bat and, you know, ride the subway at night to make sure people are, you know, a safety patrol group or neighborhood watch. I just don't think that there's a lot of will for that anymore. And people just aren't there. I think they're just more accepting. And it's that acceptance that I think is, is hurting us. Anyway, Leon, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Uh, quick pause. Then we come back for the speed round. We got calls from Wisconsin, South Dakota, and Indiana all coming up next. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's the speed round, so we're going to get straight to the point. Let's go to uh, Sarah, Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. What do you think is going on with these people at the border? Uh, I don't wonder if our adversaries are spreading the word in a lot of these countries to encourage this migration because it will collapse our system. There's no way we can provide social services for that many people in that short a time. So that was my opinion. I think you're right. And, you know, uh, Frances Fox Pivens and her husband, uh, Professor Richard Cloward, uh, have the Cloward Piven um, idea. And that's what their idea is about, is overwhelming the system and to produce those kinds of results. Right. So Jay Johnson says 500 people is too many. Then we get 10,000, 12,000 in a day. And then they come back and go, well, you know, how about we make it? We cap it at 5,000. Meet you in the middle. Right, and they, they create these new normals that will permanently overwhelm a system. And uh, that's definitely part of their plan. Sarah, excellent point. I uh, wish I had a little more time to chat with you. You always have such great opinions. Um, thank you for the call from WBIW. Let's go to Karen, La Crosse, Wisconsin, WIZM. Karen, go right ahead. What's your thought on Keisha King? 
Um, well, I'll pass with all the compliments. <clears throat> so I get right to the point. Um, the, the one guest, um, Keisha. Yeah, Keisha um, King. I thought she was really good in the in her way of stating that um, this is the agenda. People are scratching their heads, rolling their eyes, and wondering how people can be so stupid that they allow things to happen. But this is all a part of a plan. And um, in a Marxist plan, whatever you would call it. And they right. have to destroy this country in order to rebuild it. Right, in to the, rebuild it uh, in, in the image that they have. Yes. And one, and one more thing. Um, I just wanted to stand up and applaud that Ted Nugent, but I, I'm old and my knees are too bad. <laughs> so I stayed seated. But, you know, you get so angry today sometimes, but you mustn't say things to people. You must, you know, stay calm right. and not voice your... And it reminds so, me of a verse in the Bible, Karen, that says, Be angry, but sin not. Karen, thanks for the call from La Crosse, Wisconsin, W-I-Z-M. And until the next time, America, hasta la próxima. Take care, good night, and God bless. We'll be back tomorrow doing it again. I'm Rich Valdez. Every story eventually comes to an end. This June, hear the final episode of Season 2 of the hit podcast series, In the Red Clay, Durham. In the Red Clay tells the unbelievable true story of Billy Sunday Burt, the most dangerous man in Georgia history. In the podcast that people are calling riveting, incredibly moving, captivating, and addicting. Binge seasons one and two of In the Red Clay now, wherever you listen.